A few days ago, our colleague Eva Xiao watched something strange unfold on Chinese social media. H&M, the Swedish clothing retailer, was being attacked. Quite suddenly, there was a lot of online controversy, anger, directed H&M about a statement it made last September, uh, which is quite interesting because, you know, it's a long time ago. Soon, the posts were calling for boycotts. And then H&M started disappearing from China's internet. Tech platforms began blocking searches for the company. So did map applications and China's biggest ride-hailing platform. If you just imagine it in the U.S., it would be the same as if Google Maps and Apple Maps block searches to look up H&M stores, if Uber wouldn't take you there. And it'd be the same as if Amazon, right, or other e-commerce platforms also block searches. So I think for me, that was quite dramatic. I mean, it was like H&M was just canceled from all these platforms and didn't exist. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, April 2nd. Coming up on the show, why China's internet froze out H&M. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. The statement that got H&M in trouble last week was about a highly sensitive topic in China, Xinjiang. Xinjiang is a region with a large population of Muslim ethnic minorities, like Uyghurs. And for years, China has faced accusations of widespread abuses there. There are a few very heavy-handed policies from China that target the culture, religion, and identity of mostly Muslim ethnic minorities there. That includes the widespread destruction of religious and cultural sites, arresting people for praying and fasting during Ramadan, but also policies that are not directly connected to religion and actually more broadly target people in Xinjiang. So reasons like arresting people or detaining them for traveling overseas to countries that are considered sensitive, like Turkey, Egypt, other countries in the Middle East— or contacting overseas relatives, or even having WhatsApp, which is blocked in China, on their phone. And human rights groups and media have reported that as many as a million people have been detained in internment camps. NX-detainees have told CNN they were tortured inside while undergoing political indoctrination. Mounting evidence suggests a system of forced labor. Satellite imagery shows a changed landscape. In one area empty two years ago, a facility covering 5.6 million square feet. Prison design experts tell us this could now be one of the biggest detention facilities in the world. At first, China denied that the camps even existed. But as attention on the region increased, Beijing later said the camps were vocational training centers. 
And generally, China rejected all criticism over Xinjiang. So U.S. policymakers started taking action. And one area that they targeted was Xinjiang's economic ties to the West. In 2020, the U.S. Commerce Department began blacklisting Chinese companies over allegations of forced labor in the region. So, for example, there's one glove factory that was implicated in using former detainees from camps in Xinjiang. And so customs put out, like, a ruling on them, and it just meant, like, if you're an importer and you import from this company, your shipments will be detained, and you can't free them unless you show evidence that your shipment or your products or whatever doesn't involve forced labor. Around the same time, Western apparel makers came under scrutiny for their ties to Xinjiang. Some of them have used cotton from the region. Xinjiang produces around a fifth of the world's supply. So these companies started making statements and taking steps to distance themselves from Xinjiang and the forced labor allegations there. Companies like H&M, which brings us to their September statement. And the statement basically said that they did not source products directly from the region. And it said that, you know, regardless of the country or region, they strictly prohibit, you know, using forced labor in their sourcing. And what about that statement is problematic in the Chinese context? The Chinese government has always denied the forced labor allegations. From that perspective, you know, if you think that it doesn't exist and it's just kind of like a made-up lie or, you know, false information to make China look bad, then it looks like H&M is refusing to buy cotton from Xinjiang for a made-up reason or, you know, like, and it's also kind of can be interpreted as smearing China's reputation. At first, H&M's statement didn't seem to attract much attention. But then earlier this year, the U.S. made two moves that amped up tension with China around Xinjiang. First, the U.S. took aim at two of Xinjiang's biggest exports. It was basically a ban on all cotton and tomato products from Xinjiang, which is a lot more serious than saying, hey, this company is on our bad list, right? And so that was very major. And also, in January, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said that China was committing a genocide in Xinjiang. So those are two big things that China had to contend with. China responded with sanctions of its own against U.S. officials, including Pompeo. And then in February, Beijing took a step toward developing a new tactic for how to respond to Western pressure. Late February, Chinese officials had met with some Chinese scholars and advisors um, to discuss Xinjiang. And kind of one of the things that their advisors had suggested, uh, according to our sourcing, is that, you know, pressure should come from the public and the industry, not the government. If foreign companies publish, you know, what they consider improper statements on Xinjiang, China knows that perhaps it's more persuasive or more powerful to hear companies and the public, like Chinese consumers, criticize companies, foreign companies over Xinjiang versus it being very obviously top-down. And last week, it appears China got a chance to try out that strategy. On Monday, the U.S., Canada, and Europe issued new sanctions over Xinjiang. It was the first time since the 1989 Tiananmen Square crackdown that the EU and the U.K. used human rights sanctions against China. And China hit back 
and issued their own counter sanctions in response. And then a few days later, this whole H&M thing started. That whole H&M thing. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Last week, just a few days after the new sanctions from the U.S. and its allies, Chinese social media lit up with anger at H&M over that statement from last September. According to outside researchers Eva worked with, the outrage started from a single post on Weibo, China's Twitter, from an unlikely source. The account itself identified itself as a history-slash-foodie blogger, And they posted, like, three minutes before midnight on Tuesday. And so they shared screenshots of the H&M statement from last year. And it said, bye-bye H&M, you know, in the post. And then this post was then shared by much more influential accounts the next morning. These eight accounts, they were not state-backed accounts. They were people who said they were video game commentators, a makeup influencer, um, someone who said they were paleontologist, so, but all pretty big accounts with large followings. And then at around 10.45 a.m., the Communist Youth League posted their own post about H&M and forced labor. And that really, I think, kicked it off. And according to the researchers, the fact that a Chinese, a Communist Party-affiliated social media account, like, you know, the Communist Party easily. The fact that they shared it signaled that it was, you know, quote, politically correct to talk about this. And it kind of galvanized um, patriotic accounts to spread it further. What happened after the Communist Party Youth League got on board? I mean, by then it was being shared all over Weibo. It was really going viral. And I think... Later, early in the afternoon, I want to say around 2 p.m. or so, one of H&M's Chinese celebrity brand ambassadors announced on Weibo that he was cutting ties with H&M. And then a few hours later, I want to say around 5.30 p.m., another one of H&M's Chinese brand ambassadors did the same. What were some of these memes that were being shared about H&M? Some of them were play on words of H and M, so there would be, like, there's one that was like um, a Chinese word that used H&M, so huangmiu, and it means like absurd. So it's kind of saying like, you know, they're spreading absurdities about Xinjiang. And so there's different kind of play on words. 
I mean, a common refrain was, you know, you want to make lots of money in the Chinese market, but at the same time, you're making us look bad, you're embarrassing us, you're spreading lies about forced labor. Then came H&M's disappearance from Chinese e-commerce sites like Alibaba and JD.com, as well as map and ride-hailing apps. A lot of Chinese tech platforms made the decision to block H&M. You couldn't really search for H&M. So kind of online and offline channels to buying stuff at H&M were severely hampered. And just to be clear, there's no evidence that there was like a government directive telling companies to do this. How big of a deal is this for H&M? So H&M and other companies, they haven't disclosed like, you know, the dollar figure of how this is affecting them. But for H&M, China is one of their top four markets. It's a pretty big deal. To lose the Chinese market would mean a lot, a huge loss for them. Earlier this week, H&M CEO mentioned that 20 of the company's roughly 500 stores in China have been closed. And this was, you know, to clarify, it was a, a response to a question about whether or not landlords were forcing them to shut. So I think that's another concrete effect of all of this, just to kind of show that it's, it's not just angry people, you know, typing on their computer about why H&M is wrong. You found no evidence that the Chinese government was behind this erasure, but do you know how the government has reacted to it? So from our reporting and our sourcing, from their perspective, it's quite successful. And if we go back to the idea that it's better to have this anger or punishment come not directly from the government, but maybe Chinese consumers or the public and industry— I think that's kind of what we saw with, you know, people going online to call for boycotts or to criticize the companies or the tech platforms. And I think from that perspective, that kind of matches with what they might have wanted to achieve. In 2019, the Houston Rockets and the NBA got iced out by China over something the Rockets general manager said about the protests in Hong Kong. Do you see parallels with what's happening here to H&M? Yeah, I mean, I think in both cases, the companies uh, were punished for something political. And the punishment took in the form of losing access to the Chinese market. So in NBA's case, a lot of TV networks like I think CCTV and also Tencent, which owns the digital streaming rights for NBA in China, you know, they suspended their preseason broadcast arrangements. And so, again, it's, it's sort of like being shut out temporarily from Chinese consumers, which are really important to the companies. So there's, yeah, a huge parallel with NBA. And what does this say for Western companies doing business in China? I mean, I think the for most Western companies, they kind of want to be as apolitical as possible. But U.S.-China relations have made that less and less possible. So it kind of goes both ways, right? Like the U.S. doesn't want companies to source from Xinjiang because of what's happening there. So companies need to satisfy those requirements. But in China, now they also have to pick a side, right? And it's no longer enough to just be silent for both parties. And today, the pressure on H&M continued. Chinese authorities said they'd called the company in for questioning about, quote, problematic Chinese maps on the company's website. It's unclear what the exact issue was, but it was seen as a warning shot from the government. 
That's all for today, Friday, April 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is produced by Katherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Martin Kessler, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Marcus Bagala, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Nathan Singapak, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.